Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel loved by this message from one of our guest speakers. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Father's House. I, uh, I have felt so at home. I've only been here an hour and I've already received more hugs than I get on any Sunday morning at the church I work at. So, I mean, just wonderful. Worship has been phenomenal. Uh, God's, God's presence. Uh, what I love, um, so again, the worship team at the church where, where I'm serving, they'll do a song and they stop. And they do a song and they stop. And I'm like, I'm in there worshiping. And they're like, oh, okay. And then in there worshiping again. And um, Wonderful. But what really clinched it for me was when Pastor Peter came up here and he said, so we're going to get together and we're going to assemble shoeboxes and we're going to have so much fun. And then he named eight things you're going to eat. And then he said, we're going to have so much fun. I said, I could, I could hang out at that church. <laughs> I like your definition of fun. Okay, so I thought I'd introduce you to um, my family 20 years ago and probably about 35 pounds ago. Um, we were... Uh, four under four in less than four years. Uh, my wife and I were going to be child-free. God said, no, you're not. And his best decision he ever made in my life, next to salvation, was that one. Um, but I got to tell you, when you have four kids in diapers at one time, it's kind of like that, that passage where, where they're trying to get Lazarus out, and, and they said, but Lord, he, you know, it stinketh. <laughs> well, that was our house. So, um, my guess is Canada is similar to the U.S. I'm, I'm from the U.S. Um, my kids all loved art projects. Every one of them. Uh, Lori and I have often wondered where that recessionary gene comes from because neither of us like a single art project out there. But they never found an art project they didn't love, and they would constantly come back from church or vacation Bible school or activities, and they would, I mean, they just had massive amounts of art. And what do you do with all of the art your kids bring home? You put it on the fridge. Well, when you have four kids under four, um, and they start producing art, my, my refrigerator overfloweth. Every time I would close the refrigerator, I'd have to pick up all the stuff that's falling down from the refrigerator. Well, while we were there, the, the young man in the wheelchair was a, a foster child we had for four years, medically fragile, and we didn't know how long we were going to have him. We thought it might be for a really long time because it's, it's hard to find an adoptive resource for a context like that. And so we decided to do an addition to our house we built a small little bedroom for Tevi. We built a small little office for me, a dining room to entertain. We had a small house. And, and it, it sat between the house and the garage. We kind of closed the, the rectangle. And this wall butted up against our house. We did a lot of the work ourselves. That was a mistake, but that's okay. When we were all done, we were ready to move in, ready to use it, take the plastic down. It was, it was finished. We were exhausted. And the, the fire guy came through for the final inspection. And he said, I can't give an occupancy permit because there's no firewall between the garage and the house. Apparently, you have to have extra 
Um, it has to be able to burn for so long before it moves through. And I didn't know what that meant, but I asked them, and so I needed a second layer of drywall. Well, I had, I had tried, I can hang drywall, I can put the first layer of mud, but have you ever seen someone who like does that for a living? Yeah. Have you ever tried to do it? Yeah. And you, I mean, your, your nose is clogged full of all the sand that you're, you're sanding over and over. And I, I'm like, oh, really? I said, does it, do I have to sand it? He said, no, just put it up, mud it, and whatever it looks like is fine. So our garage wall became this really ugly drywalled wall with big lines of drywall mud all over it. And um, yeah, it sounds like what? You found a place to put your art. Well, that's exactly right. I did not, but my wife got the kids up early in the morning and she marched them all out to the garage and all of Josiah's stuff was here. All of Kat, Josiah, here is your art gallery. Ooh. And Catherine's like, me too, me too, me too. We actually started calling her me too. She said it so often. And this was me too's wall. And then Jackie and then Tevi. But then we made a rule. We allowed one piece of art. Only one could go on the refrigerator. It got me wondering... And don't answer the question too quickly. You know, preachers ask rhetorical questions, and sometimes they're a trick. (laughs) What goes on God's refrigerator? So I've done a lot of traveling. Um, Two years ago, I was in your maritime and went to the Bay of Fundy. Unbelievable. I mean, the boat sits on the ground in the, the bay, and when the tide comes in, it raises 25 feet up to the dock. I, I watched rivers literally flow, waterfalls flow backwards up the waterfall. Five-foot wave going five, ten miles. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, maybe that's something that would go on. I've traveled the world quite a bit. Um, I like Niagara Falls, but boy, go to Vic Falls. Niagara Falls is nothing. Niagara Fa- Vic Falls is, is ten times longer two and a half times higher. You have to walk for 30 minutes to be from the Zambian, Zimbabwean side to see all of Thick Falls. It's unbelievable. Uh, in, in my country, we have the Grand Canyon. My favorite cartoon is Ziggy standing right on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And he's looking out over this beauty. And he's going, go God. I mean, any of those maybe could go on the refrigerator. But if you will allow me, let's just take a few minutes and go through our universe. So if we can move to the next slide. So our Earth is pretty big. Uh, if you've ever flown around it, it takes a really long time. Um, it's, it's huge. But if you go to the next slide, <coughs> excuse me, I have a cough. My, our Earth is actually pretty small. It's a little pea compared to the bowling ball of Jupiter, our biggest planet. But you realize in the cosmos, go to the next slide, Jupiter's really not that big. Here, Earth is one pixel compared to our sun. I mean, our sun is so far away from us that at the speed of light, 186,000 miles, I don't know what it is in kilometers per second, just shoot, it takes six minutes to get here and it warms our planet. It's so huge, but you realize our sun is actually in our universe kind of small. If you go to the next slide. Uh, here is our sun that's the size of a pea. And if tonight you go out and it's clear, the brightest star in the northern hemisphere is Arcturus. 
It's a bowling ball compared to our sun, which I don't know if you can read it on the slide, but the, the pixel size is that Jupiter. Earth doesn't show up on this thing. But you do realize that Arcturus actually is not that big of a slide. Go ahead to the next slide, because Arcturus on this one is that little P on the bottom compared to a bowling ball. Now, when I first put these slides together, um, this is actually a message that the Lord has blessed me to, to deliver probably nine or ten countries, 15 years. I rarely repeat a message, but I really think God has a message for his church that I want to bring here today. My first time in Canada doing this. I think it's important. Um, Antares, 15 years ago, was like the biggest star we could find. If you go to the next slide, this gives you a good picture of how big it is. Uh, those circles, the, the third circle from the center is the orbit of Earth. The, the fifth circle out would be the center of Jupiter, and all of that else is Antares superimposed on top of our solar system. So you go out tonight with a, micro, with, a, with a telescope and you see Jupiter way out there and you wait, I don't know how many decades until Jupiter gets over there as it makes its long round and all the way over there. And this is one star that's bigger than all that. So again, my question, what goes on God's refrigerator? Oh my word. Now. I had to update it because we now have a telescope that's bigger than the Hubble telescope, better. And if you go to the next slide, uh, this, oh, that didn't come out well. Okay, go to the next one. Nope, okay, forget that slide. Um, the, the star, there's 10 stars that are bigger than the biggest one that I mentioned, twice the size, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, this is a picture of someone decided, let's take the Hubble telescope and let's find the darkest spot in the night sky and let's point it there and see what we find. It would be the equivalent of, of taking uh, something, oh, maybe the diameter of your thumb as a ring and taking that ring and putting it 100 meters out from you and pointing what you could the sky you could see through that little circle out there, and that's all you get to see through this Hubble telescope. And the next slide, this is what they saw. And what's unbelievable, those four things that are circled aren't stars, they're galaxies of stars. Our God is so big, so creative. Um, you have to ask the question, what, what goes on God's refrigerator? The next slide, someone tried to figure out how many stars all that was in our universe, and they came up with this number, 32, and as many zeros as you can imagine. Uh, by the way, the, you don't have to turn there yet, but the next slide I'm going to show you, they've since figured out that was six times too small, that there's, you know, in the last 10 years we've discovered six times as many stars. And, and our God not only counts them, but he names them. When we had our foster child, we had our social worker used to work in northern Wisconsin. And he said he had one family that was actually fairly low functioning. And when they got to their 13th kid, they ran out of new names. And so they just called him Billy Two. 
God names them all. We have an amazingly, unbelievably, go ahead to the next slide, big God. <coughs> and so I'm going to ask you this question, and now I'm going to come to the answer. What goes on God's refrigerator? What's the one piece of art that God calls special? By the way, Genesis tells us, the Bible does define for us what's the, the first thing, what's the one thing, what's the main thing that God calls special. And, and I know where you're thinking, and it's, we're not going there. So the very first thing that God ever calls special, by the way, how do you know it says special? It's actually a, it's a technical word, um, and the technical word that you're familiar with is Holy. We tend to think of holy as like morally pure, and it is that, but you do realize holy literally means set apart. It's special. In the, in the temple and in the tabernacle, they had instruments that were special. They had bowls that were holy, not because they were morally pure, but because they were special. They were set apart. Next slide, the very first thing that God ever calls holy is no thing at all. He calls time holy. And in fact, it was not all time, but it was Sabbath time. Now, I'm going to talk about Sabbath this morning. Uh, it's, a, it's a concept that I learned the hard way. But as I go there, please, I've, I've heard a lot of Sabbath messages that were really legalism packed up in a, in a little message. And I'm not going there. I'm not going to talk about, is it Saturday or Sunday? I'm not going to talk about, can you drive a car or can you not? I used to chop wood on my Sabbath because it was so relaxing for me. We'll talk about that. And I'm actually not even going to talk about a, a day, although I think there is a day in the week. But the Jews used to talk about the morning prayer being the Sabbath of the day. Uh, the prophets talked about that the land, in the Old Testament, the land every seven years was supposed to get its Sabbath. It would get a year of rest after six years of work. And, and because the Jews didn't give the land its Sabbath, the prophets tell us that when God kicked his chosen people, Israel, out of the promised land, one of the reasons he did that was because the land had not received its Sabbath. And he said, the number of years you're gone is so that the land will get its Sabbath. Wow. So don't hear me talk about, I think we, I think we, air when we want to argue over it's what the, the Jews and Jesus they got into it with him all the time he, he would literally do things on the Sabbath they said you couldn't and I, I mean I think he did it intentionally just to stir things up a little bit to try to teach them that, that this, is, this is something about a, a qualitative time do you know in the Old Testament no thing is called holy until the golden calf it's almost as though the holiness of things is an accommodation to us. But Abraham Heschel says that God's sanctuary is actually a sanctuary in time. It's qualitative time. It's something special that's set aside. In fact, in Hebrew, it's fascinating. There, there, there is actually no word for thing like object. They don't have a word for it. Now, our language, English, or whether you're French-speaking, come from Latin, and in Latin, the word for thing is res, which is where we get our reality from. So our reality is thinghood. We, the, the categories that we, we think in are, are 
you know, stands and floors and, and chairs and things. But for, for the Jews at the time, there was no word for it. And Heschel asked the question, did that mean that the language God chose to reveal his first testament in was a linguistic poverty? Or perhaps they had a better understanding of reality than we do sometimes. By the way, if we believe that God created us to love us and created us that we would love him, that only exists in time. That, that a relationship is never about things. I, I can't remember a single paycheck my father ever brought home. But I can remember all three of the movies he ever took me to. I can remember the times that he and I spent together and they were precious. Sabbath for us is about God's creation of something wholly set apart and special, a, a qualitatively different kind of time. Now, I gave you a lot of science. I don't want to go there. I want to go to the Bible. You know, it's fascinating to me that in Genesis, in the creation story, this, this Sabbath principle is so woven into the very fabric of it. If you look at, at Genesis chapter 1, 1 through Genesis 2, verse 3, it's the initial creation account that, that Moses gives us in, the, in Genesis. There are seven sections there's a septenary nature through the whole book. There's seven sections. The first sentence there has seven words. The second sentence there has 14 words, multiple of seven. Every major word in that a creation account, God and earth and light and heaven, they all occur in multiples of seven. And when you get to the last section, the last section of those seven sections, it's the climax. There are three sentences in that climax, Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. In the, in the Hebrew, there's three sentences. Each sentence has seven words, and each of the three sentences has the exact same word in the middle of the sentence, and it happens to be seventh day. That when God created... He created a special time that he called holy and he put it on his refrigerator because he wanted to spend it with us. He's nuts about you. He absolutely loves you. So the Jews of the day, they used to argue over this um, last section, the middle sentence in there, Genesis 2.2. Now Genesis 2.2 shows two of those sentences, but one of them it, it says this, and depending on your translation, it doesn't do a good job, but, but in an accurate translation, it says that on the seventh day, God finished all that he began. And so here was the debate. It didn't say on the sixth day, God finished. What it says is on the seventh day, God finished all that he began. So if God finished on the seventh day, what is it that God created on the seventh day. And there was a lot of, of um, berry juice on ancient paper spilled over this debate. 
They went back and forth and they asked, what did, what did God make? What, how, how, can we, how can we reconcile what the scriptures clearly tell us that on the seventh day, not the sixth day, on the seventh day God finished. And, and the debate raged until Rabbi Rashi in the Megiddo said, after six days of creation, what did the universe still lack? Menucha, tranquility. Came Sabbath, came Menucha, and the universe was complete. In other words, folks, God didn't just rest on the seventh day. He created rest. And he called it special. And he called it holy. And he gave it to his most beloved creation, you and me, to be a sanctuary in time where you and I can hang out together. It's unbelievable. Psalm 23 you know, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they'll fear no evil, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, you, 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 you make me lie down in green pastures. You know that passage? You lead me beside what? Yeah, waters of manucha. You lead me beside waters of tranquility. Now, I don't know what it's like here, but I know in, in Virginia, where, where I'm currently ministering, we have people who, unless someone makes them die down in green pastures, they won't. <laughs> Jesus talked about his sheep in, in John 10 who know his voice, and he says he's the gate. But what's fascinating to me in that passage, it is this picture of a rhythm. He says, my sheep, they go out, and they what? They come in. They go out and they come in. in. In the community where I live, people just go out. They go out and 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 they go out. And on their day off, they're looking at this thing. I, uh, Calvin Miller said that the last barrier to intimacy with Jesus is hurriedness. Do you know that, that Jesus displayed almost, well, most of the emotions that we experience on a regular uh, a, a case? Uh, endearment and love and compassion, but also uh, fear, also anger. But you find nowhere in the scriptures where Jesus is anxiously hurried. Now, here's a question for you. Does anyone here think that they have more to accomplish in life than Jesus did in the three years of his ministry? And yet, if you go to the Gospel of Mark, which the Gospel of Mark is a fast, it's the shortest gospel we have, only 16 chapters. Uh, all those chapters are short. The Gospel of, Matt, of Mark, the, the early church considered it the Gospel of the Bounding Lion. Because in Mark, he does so much. The first chapter of Mark, Jesus accomplishes more than he accomplishes in five chapters of any other gospel. The word immediately shows up in Mark 19 times in the first chapter. It shows up more times in the Gospel of Mark than the entire New Testament. Uh, there's this Jesus who gets this done and gets this done and gets this done. And yet what's fascinating, if you're really careful to look through Sabbath eyes at the Gospel of Mark, you al at least in the first 10 chapters, you almost never find Jesus ever going to do ministry. What you find in every single chapter is Jesus pursuing Sabbath with the Father, 
quality, tranquility, manucha, time, time alone with the Father. In chapter one, it's twice. While it's still dark, while it's yet early, he gets up and goes out to a lonely place and they're looking all over for him. He didn't tell anyone where he was going. When they finally find him, okay, and then the next thing you know, at the end of the chapter, he's out there again. And then in chapter two, he goes down by the lake. And then after that, he goes down to the lake again. They figure it out. He goes up on the mountain. Then he goes across the lake. Then he goes up on the mountain and sends them across the lake. Chapter 7, he leaves the country. And he actually says, and he didn't want anyone to know where he was going. <coughs> I'm not going to process this, but you can look it on your own. It's really fascinating. When Jesus, someone said that whoever wrote Mark didn't know the geography of, of the promised land in Israel, because when, when Jesus leaves up north. It says he goes to Galilee, and then they tell him by way he goes, and he actually goes from here, a town outside of Israel, and he goes up here before he goes down there. It's kind of like, uh, do you guys do this? Uh, when I was growing up, we would do Sunday drives, and we take the long way around because we want more time just to hang out. Jesus did his Sunday drive up into I don't know if it's Sidon or Tyre, I forget which one, up north, and then back down. What you find in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus finding new and creative, and you know, it wasn't on Saturday, it wasn't on Sunday, it was when, whenever he could find this quality of time to get away and be with the Father, and as he went to get alone with the Father, ministry would come find him. And when ministry would come find him because he was so full and overflowing of the Spirit of God spending time alone with the Father, he would minister in power. And when he'd minister in power, he didn't say, okay, see if that inspires faith in your heart. Let's do a prayer line. No, he said, I got to get alone with the Father again. I need to Sabbath. I need, I need to recharge Refill, receive. Next slide. Voltaire made the comment, if you want to destroy the Christian religion, you must first destroy the Christian Sunday. Um, by the way, it's actually working in the U.S. Um, soccer clubs and hockey clubs and football clubs, and uh, I mean, it's, it's working. Um, it's a little scary. And again, I, I, so like as a pastor, um, Sunday is never my Sabbath, so I'm not talking about a legalistic thing. My family and I, we used to struggle over how we could, because we always wanted to do it together, but Saturday was never good for me because I couldn't not think about Sunday on Saturday. And so how do you make it work? And so we would like move it around in our family. We're like Jesus, constantly trying to find a new way, and they'd come find us, and then we go something else, you know? And but my, my kids got really good at this. We would declare, you know, Tuesdays are going to be our Sabbath or Saturdays or Sunday after church till Monday, same time. We did all kinds of things. And um, my, my youngest daughter, she's, she's one of these people that she reads the rules and she knows how to take bureaucracy and work it for herself. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I'd say, hey, Jackie, would you please go pick up your room? It's our Sabbath dad. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Thou were perfect. The Hasidic prayer every morning, the, the Hasidic Jews would, would say a prayer and they would call it the Sabbath of the day. And here was the prayer that they gave. I love this prayer. 
I thank you, O ever-living and existing King, for returning my soul to me. Great is your faith in me. John Wesley, I imagine many of you are familiar with him. Um, He's really an antecedent to your movement in many ways. Maybe Jesus, maybe Augustine, maybe Luther could claim more than Wesley, but there are probably more churches today worldwide connected to Wesley's movement than anybody in the history of the church after Jesus. And that includes your own, I I know, so I met the Lord in the Pentecostal church, Assemblies of God, and we love to say that we started uh, at the beginning of the century in Azusa Street, And I understand that. It was a fresh, new outpouring of the Spirit. But Donald Joy's done an amazing work to show that the antecedents of that, that the the seedbed, what God had had designed and built before that ever happened was the holiness movement. And the holiness movement, the seedbed of it was was John Wesley. So Wesley has this this long-standing impact. In fact, Wesley and Whitfield used to debate back and forth all the time in the U.S. when they had their, their revivals. And, and Whitfield generally got bigger crowds, so he thought he was better. And at the end of his life, he asked Wesley to do his funeral, and he made the comment, he said, he said to Wesley, he said, I, 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 I just preached, but I never, I never helped people actually form a church and be a church and move forward as a church. He said, I have been pushing a rope of sand all my life. Today, there's one church in the world that is a Whitfieldian church. And yet Wesley, so why do I share this? Well, when Wesley was first starting ministry, his father, who was a preacher, said to him, you know, you, you, really, you really should go and get ordained. And if you get ordained, you should read some of the classics. And so he read Thomas Kempis's Imitation of Christ. And when he finished it, He said it changed his whole life, and from that day forward, he began the practice of daily religious retirements. Every day he would, for a moment, he would retire from life. He would embrace this qualitatively different time that God has sanctified and called holy and set aside to hang out with his beloved. I I don't think his impact was because he was a great preacher or even a great systematizer. I think it's because he was a great lover of Jesus. I've heard Brian quote a bunch of times and he's absolutely right. God desires lovers more than laborers because lovers labor more than laborers labor. When you, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And folks, that doesn't mean, uh, if you're gonna love me, you gotta do it. No, 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 no. You, you really love someone and you go out of your way to please them. When I was first dating Lori, whoo, baby. I mean, there was nothing I wouldn't do. God, God wants lovers. And because he so desires lovers and because he knows our propensity, we are, my, my youngest daughter quoted, coined a word, we are ego-friendly. We like to do things that build up our ego. And so we pursue productivity. We pursue doing this and doing this. And, and, the, and the great temptation is always pride. It's always my accomplishment. We, we give God the credit, but all the while we're like, okay, did you see that? Did you happen to notice that one? You know, we do the name drops, all that kind of stuff. Okay, next slide. I'm going to go through these next slides really quickly. Um, 
especially since I'm lost in my notes. I love what Tyndall Edwards does here. He says, the rhythm of life today generally oscillates between achievement and some mind-numbing private escape. Uh, I don't know about you, but there was a period in my life where Sabbath became uh, doing more and more chores that I didn't get done during the rest of the day. Uh, That's not Sabbath. That's not Sabbath. Okay, next slide. He goes on to say, day off is marked by the same hectic pace as other days. This can take the form of complex entertainment that requires large investments of time, planning, energy, and money to support them. You know, some of my most profound community times was when I was my poorest in college, and I knew the guy in the apartment up above me ran out of groceries, and I happened to have some groceries, and so spur of the moment, hey, why don't you come on down for dinner? And we'd just hang out, we'd eat, we'd play a game, we didn't plan anything, we just, we were. Do we have time to do that? Next slide. So these next three slides, I'm going to go through really quick. And rather than read them, just, I'll point out a few, but just look at them. Because the qualitatively different time that God, don't don't mishear me. We need to be productive. We need purpose in our life. Purpose, if you've read about the blue zone, the people that, the the zones of the world that have the largest number of octanarians, people 80 years and older, uh, in those regions, they, there's a bunch of things that are true about them, like they eat beans. But <laughs> just saying, you know, quoting the research. But they also, everyone has a purpose. So even the 100-year-old grandma holds the great-grandchild every day. It's, it's, a, it's a purpose. So I'm not saying don't have purpose, don't, don't have activity. But, but, but they all make time for community rest. I'm not a legalist, but I lament that we don't have our blue laws anymore, at least in the States. I don't know what you do in Canada. Probably don't have blue laws either. You guys go, what is a blue law? Forget it. (laughs) Click the next slide. So you see the difference that this is a time of detachment. It's a time of appreciation instead of managing. I love this one. It's a time for floating, not swimming. What a picture. Acceptance, not judgment. Eternity, not history. Realized. Next slide. Useless. I covet my useless times when I could just hang out with God. Nothing's pressing on me. Do you know the, um, um, the ancient Jews uh, used to form different ways of, of doing Sabbath? and creating time where you wouldn't do regular work. And, and so one of the things they would do, they would light a candle when the stopping started. It's kind of like when a plane takes off. No one's late for the plane. Because when the plane takes off, it takes off. Well, when the candle is lit, there's no let me finish an email. Nope, everything stops. Uh, one of the things they did, and I, I like this, and, and actually there's a lot of Jewish communities that embrace a Sabbath. They, they would practice a Sabbath box. They would take a box, and anything that you don't need for your day of rest, anything that's going to tempt you to be useful instead of with God, you know, we want, I'll be useful with God. Um, separate story. Anyone ever realize how intuitive babies are? When I had Josiah, uh, he was, you know, four months old, and, and 
so I would, I would hold him and I'd want to work. So I'd hold him and I'd work. You know, I, I, got to, I could type on my computer with one hand. Well, he knew I was doing it. And so there's no way he's going to let me. You know? And so I, I got really tricky. I positioned him so I could look right past him. Yep, don't want to do that. I could look right past him at the computer and I could work while it, he thinks I'm looking at him. How many people think that worked? <laughs> All the mothers said, you gotta be kidding me. And yet we think God is fooled. Yeah. Come on. He is jealous for you and me and our time. Okay, with the last five, 10 minutes I have, go to the next slide. I wanna walk through um, 10 principles of Sabbath from the Bible. And don't, don't see these as the rules. Uh, also, I like to say, these are kind of like a buffet. And you know, if you go to a buffet and you try to eat everything on the buffet, you're not going to be happy. Uh, so these are, these are kind of things that, that should help guide us as we, we choose to take special time away with God. The first one, do no regular work. Um, it doesn't say do no work. That's why for me, chopping wood was, was a wonderful Sabbath activity. Other people were like, no way. I, I, the first church I ever pastored was a small little legalistic church. And, and someone, we had bought two, two properties. We were going to knock one down and build a parking lot. The other one was going to become a parsonage. And, and before we knocked the one down, one guy went over there and started lifting up all the old hardwood. He wanted that hardwood, and he was doing it on a Sunday. And my next board meeting, my board members were saying, we need to discipline him for doing that. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That was, that was relaxation for him. He sat at a freaking desk all day and, you know, typed away and pushed. And, and to be able to do something physical, do no regular work. Rest. Abraham Heschel said that Sabbath is a gift to mend our tattered lives. Do you know that when God created it, read Genesis, read it. The day started how? There was evening, and then there was morning. The day started with rest. It was a priority. It was a gift. Prepare ahead of time. Um, so the, the Jews would have a day of preparation because you, you, you get ready for, for Sabbath by getting... It's kind of like we had a lady in our church who had eight kids. Uh, it was a couple, but she was the primary carer of the children at this point in their life. And they would show up every Sunday morning, showered, dressed, happy, and on time. Yeah. (laughs) And I was standing there when another mother said to her, how how do you do that on Sunday morning? And she said, I don't. I do it on Saturday night. We take all of our baths. We lay out all of our clothes. We go to bed early. We do a day of preparation so that we're ready. In the New Testament, you'll find that same word, day of preparation. Um, so here, here's a picture for it. You guys all know the word decide? What words are in the family of the word decide? I'll go through them really quick. Infanticide, sexicide, suicide, genocide, homicide, pesticide. What are they about? They're about eliminating pests. Decide is not about, oh, I choose this, and I choose this, and I choose this, and I choose this, and I choose this. Decide is about, 
I say no to this, I say no to this, I say no to this, I say no to this. I gotta tell you, I am so free in my marriage because all other options are off the table. My kids, when they were little, we had a fenced backyard. They were free in the backyard because they couldn't leave the fence. Those things, I had a, I had a professor who got uh, polio as a child, and he would, he would hobble some, but he would still walk. He told the story about when he was a kid, five of them all got polio. They all had struggle walking. They all went to therapy. After a month, three of them dropped out. One guy stayed with it a year. He stayed with it four years. He said, I'm the only guy walking today. I am free because I walked in those disciplines, because I did those things I needed to do. I, it's really helpful. Day of preparation. We prepare ahead of time. It's like Nehemiah's guards at the gates on Sabbath. You're familiar with that story, I'm sure. Okay, next one. Stay at home. By the way, this is not a legalistic thing. This is more about paying attention to the relationships that we have in family and friends. One of the best Sabbath activities you could do is just say to someone this morning, hey, you know, I didn't prepare anything for dinner, but how about you come over? We'll pull something out of the freezer. We'll just sit around and talk until it thaws. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We'll let the micro, microwave help a little bit. It's that, it's that time for emotional fortitude, relational margin in our life. And then this one I have to be really careful, not for personal pleasure. It is for pleasure, but it's not for that pursuit of pleasure. My dad, we went on a vacation one time. We drove out west in, in the U.S. We took three weeks and we were in the car eight hours every freaking day. It was the worst vacation I ever took. We saw a lot. Good conversations with my dad, but other than that, I mean, we, we'd get to the hotel and the first thing my dad had to do was go get a six pack of beer. He was so anxious from driving for eight. Okay, you get it. Okay, next slide, and I'll go through these really quick. A day of refreshing. Sorry that it's not lining up. I, I'm not sure why, but probably because I'm a technophobe. I don't do technology well. Um, so in 2021, one of my, I, I took a, a, a period of Sabbath. I took a long period of Sabbath. I, I was no longer gainfully employed. I, by the way, I've been trying to retire for about three years now. And um, a friend of mine called me a rhino. Retired in name only. I keep trying. Well, so I took several months and I hiked 2,500 kilometers on the Appalachian Trail. It's a lot of work, but it was no regular work. And it was the most amazing Sabbath four months of my life. Every morning I would start with the Lord's Prayer and I'd start with Our Father. And I might, I might meditate on Our Father and sing songs about Our Father and focus on Our Father. I might do it for a minute. I might do it for the next four hours. I mean, all the things a father does, he provides and he cares and he gives identity and, and he loves and he embraces and he disciplines and he corrects. And, and I mean, just walking on the trail, no one else around me. Every now and then you bump up against someone, say, hi, how's it going? And then you keep going and just meditating on our father. And, and when it just felt like it was done, who art in heaven? Oh, you are so powerful. You are so awesome. You, you control the universe. You, I mean, you love me and you can do anything. And it was, it was unbelievable. That, I would say, is refreshing. It's refreshing. Okay, this next one. 
um, a time of celebration. So I have a, we have a Hispanic church that meets in our, in our building in Virginia. And um, every Sunday morning, they dress to the hilt. In Canada, 50 years ago, did people dress up for church? Some churches still do. And then after church, did they like have a, a special meal? And they put out all the, good, the, like, the nice plates and the china. And that was the one time of the week you had dessert. I know that's not true today. I mean, we have dessert all the time. Well, Elam still does that, this, this church that, that meets in this Hispanic church. Because for them, this is a, it's a relatively... Uh, impoverished church. They don't have a lot of money. And for them, it's, it's a moment of celebration. I mean, they do that not as obligation, but as celebration. We, we dress to our best. We put out our fine china. We have our best meal. It's, it's celebrating. So one of my favorite books on Sabbath, um, uh, the guy's name is Miller. It's spelled Mueller. Um, and it's just titled Sabbath. But for his research, he spent a lot of time, several years, with different Sabbath communities. And one of the Sabbath communities was a Jewish community that was very, very strict in their use of the Sabbath. Now, in the, the writings of the law, not the actual law, but in the Jewish writings of the law, the Talmud, um, they try to interpret and understand what the Old Testament is saying, what the first five books of Moses. And one of the things that they concluded there as an act of celebration that a righteous couple on the Sabbath will make love. Yes. <laughs> it's going to get better, brother. So this, this Orthodox group, they were very strict, and they determined that a righteous couple on the Sabbath made love three times. <laughs> So, so Mueller said that, that um, after about nine months, he got to know them pretty well, and he went up to the, the rabbi, and he said, Rabbi, may I ask you a personal question? He's like, you know, certainly my son. He said, um, uh, that thing about three times on the Sabbath, you know what I'm talking about? Do, do you really mean it? And the rabbi looked at him and said, well, no, generally once. But we have high hopes for the other two. <laughs> so Brian and I are in the Philippines, in Baguio, up in the mountains, and we're doing the same thing we're doing this week with Filipino pastors. And I'm I'm going over this message early in the morning. I'm sitting in the dining room. There's no one there. I'm looking at over the, the valley. It's absolutely beautiful. And I'm, I'm running through this. And as I'm running through it, I'm, I'm uh, talking to the Lord. And I get to this part. And I'm reminded of the times when I preached this in my church. And three men after service said, hey, can I get a tape? My wife wasn't here. And, <laughs> and so I'm, tell, I'm telling that to the Lord. And I'm laughing and all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say to me in my heart, yeah, would you give that tape to my bride? Because I long for those times of intimacy with her. When we would celebrate. I, I created a special time for it. I set it aside. I put a bunch of parameters around it so that, so that we could actually be intimate together on a regular basis. 
I don't know what your ministry is. I don't know what your job is. I don't know what you do. God might like it, but he didn't die for it. He died for you. He might like that, but he loves you. Okay, we'll finish up here. It's a day of remembering. You know, the word remember in the Bible is pregnant. Um, God, God said that he set the rainbow in the sky so he would remember and never do it by flood again. The thief on the cross said to, the, to our Lord and Master, will you remember me? Communion, we do this in remembrance. Remembering, folks, is not just about neurons in your brain firing so that you can spit it out of your mouth again. It's episodic. It's, it's, it's think of a, of a wonderful time and you remember it and all of a sudden you smile. And maybe you can even smell the ocean and it's not there. It's episodic. God is saying, oh, remember the Sabbath. Remember those times of intimacy when I, was, when I was dear to you. You've always been dear to me, but I'm not always dear to you. Remember those times so that it attracts you to be, to be near me again because I long for those times with you. Keep it holy. That just means keep it special. It's not about, oh, that's not right. Don't do that. No, just keep it special. And whether it's your Sabbath of the day, whether it's your Sabbath of, of the week, whether it's your Sabbath of the year, whether it's your Sabbath, I mean, I don't know if your pastor's ever had a sabbatical. If he hasn't, let me plant that seed. If you want, folks, you don't need a pastor who can preach better. You need a pastor who's fully alive in Jesus. But that only comes as you grant him times to Sabbath. And by the way, Sunday's not Sabbath. You get it. Keep it holy. Set apart. And the last one. Um, if you don't like Sabbath, you're not going to like heaven. Hebrews 4 is very clear that our Sabbath this side is a foretaste of our Sabbath on the other side of glory. That God, God is redeeming us and redeeming the people around you in your community and asking you to help him to redeem those people. And all you have to do is just introduce him. He'll do the rest. I mean, he's got, he got salvation figured out. But if you, will, if you will just simply be a conduit, why? Because he wants to spend eternity in an intimate relationship with his children. Or better yet, with his bride. How, how many of you... Re so when I got married, we had a big party after we got married. And we had a big meal. And all our friends came. And the food was great. And, but let me tell you something. I was not looking forward to the reception nearly as I was to what was coming after the reception. God is looking forward to the supper of the Lamb. But what he's really looking forward to is unbelievable union and intimacy with you and I and he created a way that we can taste it this side of glory can I encourage you to embrace Sabbath come on. for yourselves and for him pastor come up
Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.